When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Wednesday Night Wrestling Inc. podcast after AEW Dynamite. I am Alfred Kunawa, joined uh, by a newcomer. Very excited to see this man on the podcast. Uh, you've seen him on CBS Sports. He's Chuck Carroll. My friend, thank you so very much for having me, man. I'm pumped to be here, my friend. Pumped to have you here, absolutely. And uh, pumped as always to see this guy. He is the owner of Wrestling Inc. Uh, we were talking about him bridging the gap through the forbidden door with all this media coming through this great podcast. He is Rod Geary. What's going on, guys? Uh, good. What were you guys' uh, overall thoughts of AEW Dynamite before we really uh, jump into this show? We'll start with you, Chuck. I, I like the show. Uh, I really did. I think uh, week in and week out, by and large, AEW proves to be the best show uh, in wrestling right now. So this uh, this one tonight didn't disappoint. Um, I do have some thoughts on uh, on Daniels and Kazarian here that I'd like to get into. Um, and certainly uh, the main event here, we got ourselves a big title change. I was actually a little bit surprised by it, but we can dive into that a little bit deeper. But if I'm going to put a rating on this one, I'm going to give it three and a half out of five stars. Oh, very nice. Raj? Um, I, I bet we might have the same take on uh, Daniels and Kazarian. Uh, but I, I was actually tweeting about that earlier tonight. But we'll see. But um, yeah, I thought it was a really entertaining show. Set up a lot of good stuff. Uh, Orange Cassidy, hopefully he, he wasn't hurt too bad. He, he did get knocked out there uh, at the end of this match, and they had to call an audible. Uh, but um yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was really entertaining from top to bottom. I thought it was uh, a fun show and easy to watch. 
Yeah, very much so. I thought I thought it was a very entertaining show. Very top heavy. A lot of my favorite stuff I think came in that first hour, but I think it did have a strong ending, and I think that's really exactly what needed to happen. It was to Chuck's point. It was kind of surprising to see Darby lose after winning all this, but I think they were kind of setting him up at the same time to lose this match, uh, just by explaining how his schedule is so tough and how Miro is just kind of this guy who's coming and getting bigger and stronger in terms of wanting to pursue a singles title. He even had the TNT title on his trunks tonight, so I think he was pretty ominous with that and how he did that. But uh, we started off uh, AEW Dynamite with John Moxley versus Yuji Nagata. So this really, kind of from the jump, felt like a big fight. Feel I know that gets tossed around a lot, but they did a good job producing the two entrances, especially John Moxley, who now uh, comes out to Wild Thing by the Trogs. It looks like another purchase by Tony Khan of a mainstream song that's now going to be used by one of his wrestlers. What do you guys think? I see that facial, Chuck. What did you think about Wild Thing of John Moxley tonight? I heard that. I was blown away. I was half expecting Charlie Sheen to come out wearing a Cleveland Indians uniform. <laughs> um, but I mean, here's the thing. Like I used to work at a uh, classic rock radio station and I'm like, okay, well, this song came out in 1966. Moxley wasn't even born until what, what, like 85. So he was like negative 19 when that song came out. It's a classic. It's iconic. I does it work for him? I don't know, man. I'm kind of on the fence about it. I enjoyed it, but at the same time, he had such a kick-ass theme before Wild Thing, man. I don't know that I would change it up. It was kind of cool for one night, but do they stick with it? I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I thought it, maybe it was a one-night thing since he's defending the IWGP title. It's like Onita used to come out to that song. Um, you know, Onita, he had a, a cover version, I believe. I don't think it was the the, the 1960s right. version. It was a cover version. So maybe it was just paying tribute. I agree with you, Chuck. I, I, I love the song Wild Thing. I could see it more with someone like Joey Janela or someone like that. Um, but Moxley, I, I feel like his current entrance music is uh, is actually fits him better as far as uh, a violent, kind of crazy a uh, nutty dude and i think wild thing is a little it's a little cute for him you know i completely disagree with both of you guys i think this is the best <laughs> pairing of a song with a wrestler that we have in wrestling today i was very excited when i heard wild thing and then i saw john moxley come out and i, I think it stood out more to me because i'm not much of a john moxley guy i gotta admit the guy's talented i've always liked his work i've appreciated him i like the early days of dean ambrose but between his gear and his music, I've never been able to fully invest in him because it's never rubbed me the right way, uh, even though I do like his matches. But this song, I think, is so perfect. And it, he got that huge ovation coming out, and I think a lot of that because it was the first match, and it was, you know, Yuji Nagata was in the building. So I just thought this looked uh, so great aesthetically. And I will argue that it does kind of fit John Moxley because, yes, you guys are right. He is uh, a more of kind of a new school guy who was from the 80s, from that deathmatch era. But he does have a lot of old guy bona fides in terms of just being a whiskey-drinking tough guy who's a bar brawler and if there was like a trailer to a john moxley movie and it's this song playing them just beating people up i think that would look pretty badass and, and instead of that kind of generic rock music that i thought he uh, had before you don't I, think it's a little slow though yeah like, man like if it was a cover version that had a little more balls to it i'd right. be all about it i think but this is i mean it's 1966 here man so it doesn't quite even have that hendrix vibe to it like it's just a little right. bit soft man it's like i want some more metal behind this right. something that matches moxley in my opinion a little bit better but i will say alfred that uh renee agrees 1000 percent for you <laughs> she popped huge for wild thing on twitter 
Well, that's good. I mean, she should do that. Whether or not she likes it, I mean, uh, it's, I'm sure she absolutely does, and she's definitely a good judge of character. But, you know, I, I'm glad that she's standing by Moxley with that one. And it's an excellent – I mean, I think – you know, you guys are right in terms of the walk to the ring, but it is a pretty long walk to the ring that he makes. So maybe it stands out that you just have to keep hearing it over and over. But I thought, you know, just that beat with the drums, I, th- I thought it fits like a glove. I really do like it. Um, but you know what? I think we're all going to agree on the match itself that he had with Yuji Nagata because these two kicked the hell out of each other. Uh, you could just tell how much uh, John Moxley respects Yuji Nagata. He got a lot in this match. He uh, very hard hitting with strikes. It was essentially a New Japan match taking place in AEW in that they had seconds. You know, John Moxley walked out there uh, with um, the. Um, Eddie Kingston, who he's been, you know, teaming with. But then uh, we had Yuji Nagata and Renderita out there. So just a lot of strikes. And uh, the finish was a pretty basic finish where uh, they're just beating the hell out of each other. And Moxley connects um, with this finisher and just wins clean in the middle. Uh, So Moxley beats Yuji Nagata. They have kind of a ceremony at the end where they're bowing to each other. uh, And there's a lot of respect shown between these two babyface. A very hot opener. What do you guys think, Chuck? I really uh, liked it, especially the the ending, how they did honor the New Japan traditions there, even so far as to have a young boy coming out uh, into the ring after the fact. And and then, of course, as you said, the bow. The match itself, I, I absolutely loved. I actually wish that it would have gone a little bit longer. Obviously, you're under time constraints because you're on TV. Um, but th- for me, it was like that 10 minutes or so that the match actually lasted. It went by in a blink of an eye. Like, yeah. at least give me another five here, especially after building it up for so long. Yeah, I was I was expecting it to go through the commercial break. Um, you know, when they announced this last week, I figured uh, I figured uh, Miro and, and uh, Darby Allen would go on last, but I thought this would go on later. I'm actually yeah. think it's a smart move to do it earlier because more weeks than not, the first quarter is always one of the the highest rated quarters for AEW. And uh, last time they had a New Japan uh, talent with Kenta, th- that match actually didn't do very well. I, that was actually the lowest rated quarter on the show. So having it on early, hot action match with your biggest star or one of your biggest stars, arguably your biggest star. Yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, and it was hard hitting. It was a ton of fun. I, I thought it was a, a great way to start the show. 100%. Yeah, this was, uh, you know, you could tell, I mean, maybe it's because, especially with people who've seen Yuji Nagana as prime, this guy really was one of the best in the world in his prime. So he is limited compared to what he was able to do, but they worked so spectacularly around this. And he just looked like an old tough guy who, I mean, there are points in this match where you know politically AEW wouldn't let John Moxley lose a match like this, but you know that John Moxley respects Yuji Nagata so much. He would have no problem doing that job. And, you know, taking that United States New Japan Championship back to New Japan would be less of an albatross for that title because John Moxley can only be in Japan so many times to defend it. So it'll be very interesting how they take that title off of the New Japan. But Raj, I want to go back to what it was that you were saying as far as the opener here. Do you think that it is kind of a mistake to put a Nagata there in the opening match? To me, that kind of plays to your more passionate fans, your hardcore fan base, of which I would say is still, even though we're talking about AEW, just a fraction of that million or so people who tune in every week. And so they tune in and they're going to see a guy who they're largely unfamiliar with and you, you need to keep that in mind. If you're watching this right now, I guarantee you know exactly who Nagata is. But I would say that you're in the minority of wrestling fans. The majority of them probably don't have a huge familiarity with New Japan beyond the fact that the Bucks have been there, Omega's been there, Moxley, of course, has been there, the names that they have on the AEW roster already. But you bring in a guy like Nagata, I think a lot of them are like, who? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it is. I think it is a good move just because that first quarter does do good and you're getting people just jazzed up for wrestling. Whereas you usually see like the rating kind of drop as the show goes on. And I think if you put it later in the show, someone that a lot of newer fans are not familiar with, um, I think it would go down even more. So I think putting it up front, you know, and just having Moxley in there, I, I, th- I think it was the right move. I mean, I guess we'll know tomorrow. But, um, yeah, I, I think that if it was me from what I've seen with the ratings, uh, and I, I do look at the quarters um, when they're out, and I, that's where I, I, I believe that would have been that's the best spot ratings wise. So, uh, Cody Rhodes is out next. Oh, before then, we got a backstage promo from what's left of the inner circle. We're going to get more into this as the show goes on. Basically, Ortiz, Hager, and Guevara backstage saying that this isn't over and they're coming for the pinnacle. So, this storyline, far from over as we saw tonight. Uh, and then- real, real quick, Jax Collins mentioning that Onita used the Wild Thing, the Trogs version in 99 in ECW. In Japan, right. I believe it was the cover version that he was using. I think it was like a female. I, 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 I think it was different. I'll have to go back and check. I could be wrong. It's been, it's been a while. Yeah, great trivia from uh, Jax Collins. Yeah, that, that, that's a strong pull right there. I'm impressed. <laughs> 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 so we go to Cody Rhodes, and he's there to they – they say he's going to make a big announcement. Uh, but he goes into this promo talking about America. And uh, so they're basically doing a storyline where uh, Anthony Ogogo is the anti-American. He put the, uh, I guess, the British flag on Cody last week. So Cody's cutting a very patriotic promo. But it's a very self-aware promo. He talks about how, you know, the of this country could be the antiquated two-party system. Then he goes back to how Santana Snoop Dogg, uh, Skinner himself, all have the same jukeboxes. So he's basically talking about how we live in a divided country that uh, where empathy outrage, uh, outrage, which, you know, maybe people will disagree with that. Maybe they won't. But he really gives a spirited promo talking about segregation, talking about his black wife in the uh, black, half black, half white child he's going to be having and really giving a spirited uh, kind of like a political rally speech. And uh, if you really kind of study code, he does have political aspirations. And, I mean, he gives a promo like this in a big event in Georgia or something like that, wherever he wants to run. I think he uh, immediately becomes a superstar in the political realm. Uh, I don't know what you guys thought about this promo, but the big news item of this promo is not only does he challenge Anthony Agogo, Cody Rhodes now brands himself as the American dream Cody Rhodes. He's now the American dream Cody Rhodes. So he came in as Cody. He got his last name and now he's t- paying tribute to his father with the American dream. What did you guys think about this segment? I absolutely loved it. I thought that the promo set up the build to using the American dream title for one night only. I thought that it was absolutely fantastic. Everything about that promo built to that crescendo at the end there using American dream, not American nightmare, but the American dream. Everything that you were talking about, that two party system, having a a half black, half white baby shunning neither race not giving up on America, the American dream. I thought that this was absolutely fantastic. And, and, and really it was hard for me also not to think back to the hard times promo. You know, it was to me, there's just such a correlation between the two father and son. I, I love this thing. This was a 10 out of 10 in my book. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was really strong. I tweeted it out. Like I usually cringe when they do the anti USA uh, angles in pro wrestling. Um, just because people who know better know that the heel doesn't really hate America in today's society. And the people that don't 
you know, it just adds to xenophobia in, in their heads with the people that are ignorant enough to go for an angle like that. Uh, that being said, I thought it was very well done. I thought uh, Cody, by the end, he had me 100%. At the beginning, I was I thought it was a little disjointed. I didn't know exactly where he was going. Um, but, it you know, by the end, you know, once he went to the American Dream and, and how he's going to use that name, uh, I thought it was super strong. And, it, and you know, it... It's building a new star in Anthony Agogo, who who looks the part. He's got a, a legit athletic background. Uh, you know, um, I mean, just it, it, as far as athletes go in the company, you know, he's he's at the top as far as legit athletes. So, uh, I, I thought it was awesome segment. Yeah, and usually the way we've seen these kind of anti-American storylines in pro wrestling is always done in a dated way where uh, the anti-American person is usually kind of a cartoon character. But that's not to say that uh, a politically motivated storyline like that couldn't work today. I think it absolutely could as long as they made sure that there was some meat there. And Cody left a lot in that promo to be responded to in terms of him saying you didn't come here for the English dream and stuff like that. So I think if anti-Anthony Gogo was given a chance to legitimately cut the type of promo with, you know, Good points raised against America. Good points raised for Britain. I think this could be a very exciting feud. Yeah, I mean, uh, to that point, I mean, you know, WWE they did the anti-USA stuff recently with Jinder. Uh, I think they uh, tried starting it with Shinsuke Nakamura. Never really got anywhere. Um, you know, uh, Ali. Uh, I believe they tried doing that way at the beginning. No. Didn't on two or five? Oh, maybe I'm thinking of uh, Arya Davari. They were doing that. Yes, they but, um, that. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's just it's it's not the highest success rate in modern times. But uh, I, I thought this was strong. I thought it, it was well done. Yeah, there's an authenticity to it that gives me optimism that this one is going to work more than what we've seen right. recently with WWE. I think that that's going to make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so this show just keeps running right along pretty loaded. They advertise three championship matches. So right after that Greg Cody promo, we are thrown right into a promo for SCU versus the Young Bucks. And then we get the match itself. So the promo kind of building up this big storyline that is a stipulation here that if SCU loses to the Young Bucks, they have to disband as a tag team. If they win, of course, they win the tag team championship. So uh, here come the Young Bucks with their $1,000 Jordans. They're just more obnoxious every week. Uh, Matt Jackson had a bandana that had beat. <laughs> over over his eyes and uh, you know it is getting to the point where the way they dress is starting to kind of bother me uh, you're not necessarily like a mark or anything but it is just you know it's uh, good on them i guess but you know it is getting a little bit obnoxious uh scu they uh, hit a double team mood i have to put this in my notes called the celebrity rehab that i was not, not aware that they i think i've heard it mentioned once but i don't think AEW's ever said it uh, but they had a pretty good match, very bloody match. The story of this match is essentially uh, Christopher Daniels losing a lot of blood. Uh, they did a spot late where he messed up a BME, but it was either on purpose or the commentary and the way they pulled this off was just so smooth and getting into the next spot. Uh, but they really built around him losing a lot of blood. The, the ring is covered in blood. They're hitting him with uh, spray cans. Uh, and finally, they hit the BTE trigger on Kazarian. And I really love this because, or no, they hit the BTE trigger on uh, Daniels and Kazarian kind of runs in to try to make the save but here comes matt jackson to make the block kind of like playing defense and the young bucks retain and beat kazarian and daniels kazarian daniels have to split up and then um they did something here that we can get into later but what did you guys think uh, about this match itself 
I wish that they would have saved it for the pay-per-view, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that Kazarian and Daniels have put in enough time together where they they deserve to be sent off on a pay-per-view rather than on a television broadcast. Not that this wasn't a phenomenal match. I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I will say, like, if I'm Kazarian and I'm Daniels, I would have loved to have seen this on Double or Nothing. And the other thing that I was thinking with that is that we saw so much color last week with Blood and Guts to see Daniels. Daniels then mm-hmm. gets so bloody here himself. I'm thinking to myself, well, too much of a good thing is still too much. And you're seeing way too much of that right now in AEW. So if you would have saved this for a couple of weeks until the pay-per-view, this would have been much better off. Nonetheless, I still like it a whole heck of a lot. I hope that there is some sort of a reversal here because they were kind of screwed out of the finish. But if it is the end, it was a heck of a match to, to send them on their merry way. Yeah, and I think Alfred, we're we're gonna get into the post match here in a second, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the match itself, I thought was great. I agree with Chuck. I think they overdo the blood sometimes. You don't when you do it every week, it loses its. Oomph. Um, you know, you do it once a month, it, it or you know, uh, during special matches, it's it it's that much more memorable. Uh, but that being said, I thought the match itself was great. I love that spot where, uh, where is Matt Jackson, right? Yes. Where he did the super kick, he did the I love you. I'm sorry, uh, I love you. <laughs> parroting the, the Shawn Michaels Ric Flair match. Um, so I, I, I thought this was really entertaining. I, I really liked the match. It's funny, like Kazarian and Daniels, um, I, I keep thinking they've been together like 15, 20 years. And really, as a regular tag team, they just got together in 2012. So it ha- it's only been nine years, and it just feels like they've been together forever. Wow. So, um, yeah. Uh, it's... Well, it really does. And, uh, yeah, we were talking about the post-match. Uh, yeah, I guess you constitute this as a post-match because so Daniels and Gazarian, after nine years together, they're breaking up. But we immediately go to the back. Uh, John Moxley and Eddie Kingston are tearing up the Young Bucks locker room. Uh, and then they go to commercial, and when they come back from the commercial, they say, oh, by the way, you know, Daniels and Kazarian, they hunted and made up, trust us, it's over with. Anyway, let's move on with this product. And this is something that I've kind of grown to accept now with AEW is not enough gets talked about how, I don't know if it's influence or just similarity, but this is very influenced by TNA Impact and how they structure a television show. There were a lot of big moments, in, especially the main event where Rusev or Miro wins that title, that they see the moment and they just move on from it immediately. And I, I just, that's always bugged me about TNA. And that's starting to become a consistent bug move for me with uh, AEW. Oh, I'm I'm so glad to hear you say that, that I wasn't the only one. I was like, there's no way they're not going to hang on this moment, this emotional ending for, yeah. for these guys. But you want to cut to the back? Like, come on, man. And then when you do come back from the break, it's only like two or three seconds of them hugging. And then it's on to the next. It's like where's the you know like give me a little bit more here let's feel some emotion behind this not just okay we're done now yeah yeah i feel like that's where aew sometimes can lag uh is building that drama you know that should have been a very dramatic moment where they're looking at each other they hug they do whatever yeah i mean they could have done a turn too but instead they went with the hug but you know just taking their time with it letting it breathe um and you know, and this isn't. I'm. I hate doing the WWE AEW stuff. There's stuff oh, AEW yeah. does better. There's stuff WWE does better. That's one thing WWE really does is that they take their time when there's that a dramatic farewell or someone has to leave. For the most part, obviously, there's going to be some exceptions. But just giving that time and the, these guys that you know, SCU. I know it was Scorpio and Kazarian, but you're they're your first tag team champions. You know, they were part of that group. Uh, just 
let it, you know, let it breathe and, and build that drama. Yeah, and I think it's worse that they showed you that commercial recap. I would have rather them not show right. this on the TV at all and then maybe had an online recap because the way they did this on TV, considering the magnitude of these two guys breaking up, which is a story that AEW has been telling us for months now, made it seem like it just wasn't a priority. Like, this is not something that you do during commercial unless it's something you feel like you have to just wrap up really quickly. And it came off as very low rent for these two guys. Yeah, it felt like an afterthought, the, the way it's Yeah, I agree. When, when they went to commercial, I'm like, well, maybe they're going to do something next week. Maybe they're going to do an angle. And then when they came back and they showed the post-match, yeah, of I was course. like, ah, that, uh, eh. I guess not. I, I wonder, though, if, if Daniels, though, uh, you know, working behind the scenes as he does, I wonder if he was kind of just okay with this, sure. humbly saying, like, let's just keep the focus on the guys who are coming up and our time has passed and that's it. So let's just move on. So it could be there's a, a lot of humility uh, here, but still, I want that emotional payoff. Raj, you hit the nail on the head when you said, let it breathe. And by God, I wish they would have. Yeah. 100%. We've got a super chat in front of the show. Uh, Stellar Justin Lopez, who's uh, loving the Knicks right now, who are playing very well. If they would have reduced Cody's patriotic promo, they would have had time to cut to SCU. A shame they treated them like an afterthought. Well, you know, I mean, you can uh, so Cody's promo. I don't know if it went long or not. It did seem like he got out what he wanted to get out, but um, uh, yeah, you know, they, they they deserve better. They just cut it entirely. I say, but you know, it's live television. That's what we do here. Or you just come back from break and you do the whole angle there. I mean, you there's other stuff you could have cut on this show if, if you were running short, you know, going over on time. So we get to this backstage segment. Christian Cage has an open contract and he's uh, going to, he announces that he's going to compete in the Casino Battle Royal uh, at uh, AEW or nothing. And then Matt Seidel comes in and he calls in the outwork. Everybody hype train. They kind of take these sniping shots at each other. So basically, uh, Matt Seidel versus Christian uh, next week uh, in AEW Dynamite. What, what do you guys think about Christian to this point? I, you know, I like him. I, I don't think that uh, he's ever going to be that top tier guy here in AEW, a guy that's competing for the title. But I do like him here. I'm. I think that he and Seidel are going to put together a heck of a match. Um, I, you know, I don't know what else to say beyond that, other than I really liked his his quip. Uh, back to Seidel that I hope everything falls into place yeah. for you uh, at the Casino Battle Royale. I thought that that was a fantastic line. Yeah, I mean, Christian, you know, considering he was the the huge surprise, one of the biggest surprises, you know, for AEW, he, he has kind of um, settled, settled down a little bit down the card because they had immediately kind of positioned him with Kenny Omega. And uh, I don't know if that's, you know, something they'll do it like Fight for the Fallen or one of the not one of the paper, you know, one of the the B shows that's on uh, that's on Dynamite, but not on pay per view. Um, but yeah, I I I, I thought Christian was going to have a singles match with one of the members of Team Taz. Maybe they were going to do Ricky Starks, and now Ricky Starks is injured, so that's out the window. But uh, still, I mean, it adds a lot of star power to the you know to the match. So. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Christian in this match. I mean, he sh should theoretically be one of the favorites, but I do feel like there's something to be desired. I want to kind of uh, wait a little bit more with Christian because I feel like they haven't done everything they feel like they want to do with him. But uh, I feel like he's still kind of shaking off the ring rust in some ways, although he has had some pretty good matches. Uh, once he gets up and running, I think it'll be a lot better for him. But I don't think that's happened yet. You know? Yeah, his, his the rating. And, and again, uh, Tony Khan just this week was talking about how he pays attention to the minute to minute ratings and Christian's quarter ratings haven't been mm. all that uh, spectacular. 
I just get nervous that they're going to fall into a trap with him like we saw so many times in WWE where somebody comes in, they get this big build, they get one or two weeks where they're really on top of everything and then they just kind of fade to the mid card or maybe even fall a little bit further down the card than that. And I'm kind of seeing that here with Christian, but if Tony Khan's keeping a close eye on those minute-to-minute ratings and Christian isn't drawing very well, then it seems to make sense. But you have a guy who's brought in who just, what, a month or two ago, a future Hall of Famer, a surefire Hall of Famer, like really built up to be this mega, mega, mega thing. And now here he is already sliding down the card. I'm a little bit nervous for what the future holds for him. Yeah, Yeah, and as we've seen with Miro, you could always come back from that. It's all just the right storyline and things like that. But, uh, But yeah, we'll see. So we go into Orange Cassidy versus Pac. The winner becomes the number one contender for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Pac is, you know, he is a kind of a de facto babyface, maybe a little bit of an anti-hero, but he was definitely the heel in this match uh, between how the crowd received him, how this match kind of went. Uh, very uh, high pace early because uh, Orange Cassidy hits the beach break right out of the uh, ring, uh, ring the bell as soon as the match starts. Uh, so these two have a pretty good match, uh, battling and brawling on the outside. Uh, but then uh, the finish comes where Don Callis comes out to distract Pac. He's kind of screaming and saying that he wants to get this over with. He wants to know who we're fighting. So hurry up and win or lose this match or whatnot. Uh, then that leads to Kenny knocking out Pac. So then we get what I believe is the, only the second disqualification finish in AEW history. Uh, so this match ends in a DQ. And the idea is Kenny did it so that he'd have the night off at double or nothing. But then Tony Schiavone comes out and he says that uh, there has been a triple threat match. It'll be Kenny Omega versus Orange Cassidy versus Pac at double or nothing. Uh, what do you think about the match, uh, Chuck, and the booking of this uh, WW, or AEW championship uh, match? I I like the triple threat idea, uh, but of course, you know, the big wild card here is what is Orange Cassidy's health going to be? Obviously, they called an audible here with the finish. Hopefully, he'll be okay in time for the pay-per-view, but if it's it's a concussion, then they wisely should take their time with it um, if need be. So um, I like the idea of the triple threat. And um, the other part of me, I was seriously wondering this, like only being half joking here, I sincerely hope that Orange Cassidy has a stipend in his contract for those Ray-Bans because, my God, two weeks in a row now, these things have either been taken away or broken, and those things aren't cheap, man. So I'm just really hoping that Uncle Tony Khan here is backing up the truck a little bit to kick in for those Ray-Bans. But obviously, I would love to get an update on his health to see what happens here. I love the idea of a triple threat. I don't see Kenny losing the title anytime soon, but the triple threat match, nonetheless, is going to be quite entertaining. Yeah, um, this is only like, this is the first time they're doing a triple threat for a singles uh, title. I believe uh, so, AEW. yeah. Uh, they've done a couple triple threat matches. It's clear uh, Tony Khan, I don't think, is a big fan of triple threat matches. I'm, I agree with them. I personally like one-on-one or, you know, tag team on uh, versus tag team and not the triple threat where the, the guy who's not the champion can get pinned and, you know, the champion loses the title. I've always, I just hated that that stip. Um but I think it makes it a better match. I just Kenny Omega versus Orange Cassidy just doesn't feel like a marquee match. Adding Pac to packs to it uh, just makes it feel bigger. I th- and I think it'll be better. I, I mean, I was tweeting last year. Uh, Orange Cassidy and Pac they work so well together. Obviously, tonight the match ended a little early because of the the power bomb um, and, and Orange Cassidy getting knocked out. But last year their match at Revolution was one of my favorite matches of the year. So uh, I think 
this could be a fantastic match. I don't know if it's necessarily a, a box office match or a marquee match, but it should be it should be really fun. Yeah, and that story that you hinted on, uh, Raj, in terms of Orange Cassidy not being like at that box office level, that's kind of what they were tapping into, especially with Kenny Omega's promo last week. And I feel like that's where they would have gone. I was assuming Orange Cassidy was going to win this match and they were going to have one-on-one Orange Cassidy and Kenny Omega. And I felt like that's a story they would have told. And I think that would have been a mistake. I think that there is money to be made or there's a star to be made in telling that story about Orange Cassidy not being at the main event and then him winning. Because you don't want to keep telling that story, have him lose, and then just go right back to being a comedy character. You kind of want to save that, I think, for when they want to put him over really strong. Would you agree then if he is able to make that triple threat that it's Pac that's going to wind up taking the loss here? Sure. I'd have no problem with that. They've done a lot with Orange Cassidy. As much as I love Pac and everybody kind of acknowledges that he's this great wrestler, um, he hasn't consistently been on AEW TV over the past year due to obviously circumstances out of his control. He can afford to take losses. He's very much a tag team wrestler in an AEW that is not uh, a slight. Um, he's doing, been doing a lot more in the tag team ranks for now. I'm sure his time will come, but it's very cyclical in AEW where, you know, this time last year, Kenny Omega was in the tag team ranks. So I would have no problem with Pac taking this loss to protect Orange Cassidy. Yeah, and then you could get back to Kenny Omega versus Orange Cassidy, you know, in the summer. Yeah. Yep, yep. 100%. Uh, then we go to ba- uh, the Young Bucks are backstage. So this is a follow-up to their locker room getting trashed. Uh, they are very upset about this. Uh, but the news out of here is they challenge the Varsity Blondes to a tag team title match next week because the Varsity Blondes are now the new number one contenders. So really, AEW smartly running with uh, Brian Pillman Jr., uh, the buzz that he got out of the Dark Side of the Ring documentary, which is really great. Highly me- recommended you see that uh, Brian Pillman documentary. And then the Young Bucks challenge John Moxley and Eddie Kingston uh, to double or nothing. Thing, uh, for a match, at least for the tag team championships. So, what do you guys think? Are you guys excited about uh, these matches coming up? Yeah, both of them. Uh, I, I am quite a bit, but I, I always just fundamentally have a problem with putting two title matches back to back, announcing them in successive weeks, because it means that the first one, you already know what the heck is going to happen. Right. Not that there was ever much doubt of this, but at least, you know, get, leave that door open just a little bit, but you can't say, Hey, we're putting the titles on the line next week. And Oh, by the way, we're putting them on, uh, putting them on the line again the following week. So Zero chance that they wind up losing, but you're absolutely right. It's cool to cash in on the Brian Pillman card right now. I understand why they're doing it, but I think maybe if you would have made that one a non-title match, it would have made a little bit more sense to me. Will the average wrestling fan pick up on that? Probably, but is it going to take away from the ratings or enjoyment? Probably not. Yeah, Um you know, in a weird way, AEW only has one more week to build for Double or Nothing because next week they're on in their normal time slot. And then the two episodes after that are going to be preempted uh, because of the NBA. So I think they're wanting to get all the big matches, you know, announced and still have stuff for the show. I mean, it's yeah, they basically announced that it's going to be the Young Bucks versus Kingston and Moxie at the pay-per-view. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems... It seems odd for Pillman, his team to be taking a loss after the you know the documentary just aired. Uh, I'd rather have them beat another team and then face the Young Bucks down the line. There's a ton of people for the Young Bucks to beat. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I, Young Bucks versus Moxley and Kingston should be fantastic. 
Yeah, that is kind of disappointing that they're going to use this Brian Hillman Pillman hype to just kind of get heat off of it and be like, okay, well, they're talking about him right now. Well, let's beat him and let's uh, make the Young Bucks get even more heat as if they needed it. Uh, so I, I really do feel there is a missed opportunity to really not even have Brian Pillman branch out, but just feature the varsity blondes more. So, you know, I guess they're going to have a prominent stage next week. I just hope that, you know, AEW is able to better capitalize on this. Thing. And, and maybe they think by having a great match with the Young Bucks that they'll be elevated. So sure. that could be their... Uh... You know, because that does happen. Like we, with a loss, if it's a great match, you 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 rise up. But you know, it's all in the follow up. We saw um, Top Flight. You know, they had a fantastic match with the Young Bucks, and then just kind of uh, faded away. And, and we've seen it other times in the past where you see you know someone have a a great outing, and then all of a sudden you don't see them on Dynamite for the next month. So. That's right. just it. I mean, in a company where wins and losses matter, you know, a loss is arguably not the best thing for the varsity blondes right now. So we get a hangman Adam Page. He challenges uh, Brian Cage uh, to kind of a rematch of the kind of shocking match where Brian Cage uh, beat hangman Adam Page. And they announced that hangman Adam Page has gone from number one to number five. After being the number one contender for weeks on end, winning all these matches, very rarely losing, but he's just dropped four spots. So poor Hangman Adam Page. Uh, then we get the uh, Pinnacle Coronation. So this was a lot that went down here. I can't wait to hear you guys think about this. We get MJF coming out in a pink suit and a crown, of course. You know, I- I'm getting to the point where I see him in these ridiculous outfits. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that looks like something he'd wear. And it, you know, it looked great. <laughs> he pulled it off. Uh, he was being a heel. He's just saying that there's going to be no rematch. Tully Blanchard cuts this awesome promo, gives everybody watches. Uh, then we get a vehicle pulling up. Uh, it is like kind of a little golf cart uh, display with uh, those three members of the inner circle, Guevara, Ortiz, and Hager. Uh, so then we hear the voice of Chris Jericho, who rises from uh, the shadows with an arm brace after falling to his death last week. Uh, he's in an arm brace, and he once again presses MJF, yes or no, do you want – to have a rematch, uh, yes or no. Fans are chanting rematch. Uh, MJF doubles down and says no. And so uh, Jericho gives Sammy uh, Guevara the go-ahead to begin spraying Sammy, uh, I'm sorry, spraying MJF and the pinnacle with a little bit of the bubbly. So very reminiscent, of course, to Milko Mania or the Stone Cold Steve Austin spot with me, but they were doing that with a little bit of the bubbly uh, on the pinnacle. Finally, MJF uh, is so mad, he accepts the challenge, but he says it's going to be stadium stampede at double or nothing. And if Inner Circle loses, they have to disband forever. What do we think about this, Chuck? I think that, uh, well, one, you're coming off of the stipulation where SCU or Kazarian and Daniels need to disband if they lost. So that was the first thing that I thought of. But then the other thing that I thought of is, well... With all of the restrictions being lifted here, how long before Fozzie goes back out on tour? Could this be planting the seeds for Chris Jericho to step away for a little bit and go do his music for a little while? You know, if that weren't in play, I would say there's zero chance that the pinnacle goes over at the pay-per-view. But just that, it's kind of making me wonder, like, yeah, well, maybe the Inner Circle's days could actually be numbered here. Raj, what do you think? Yeah, I was kind of thinking, uh, you mean Inner Circle's day? the the Inner Circle's days uh, could be numbered? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I I, kind of thought the same thing. I thought it's too predictable that the inner circle just wins. And especially when there's no stakes on the other side and AEW, a lot of times they, they don't necessarily go the predictable route um, or they, or they, there's a, a, a wrench in it. Um, so I could see that because right now the inner circle as a, as a group, 
Um, they've been there a long time. Breaking up almost freshens them up a bit. And, and to your point, giving Jericho a little time off. Um, if he's tour, I think he's supposed to tour soon. I'll have to double check that. But um, yeah, I, I think that would be the way to go instead of just doing the 50 50. Uh, the one thing, you know, I really enjoyed the stadium stampede match last year, but that was also kind of out of necessity because you didn't have a crowd. I feel like the war game sounds more like the match where you'd end the feud. Yes. That should be the rematch, you know, mm-hmm. the blood and guts, not uh, the spring stampede, which was a comedy, which was basically a comedy match last year. I know there's logistics where, you're, you know, with the cage and, and setting it up and all that, but I don't know, maybe you just set up the cage, uh, um, and have it as the first match on the show and then do a spring stampede match for the people on, you know, that people that are attending can watch on the screen as they take down the cage and then the rest of the, the matches take place after. But I just feel like war games should be the final, not the first. Agreed. One thousand percent. Yeah. Man. And especially considering the match they actually had at war games, it's not the type of match you have when you're holding something back, when you think that there's going to be more matches. I mean, they beat the hell out of each other. Everybody was bleeding and they, they had this, you know, pretty aesthetic conclusion with Jericho falling. I know it didn't go the way they wanted to, but it did very much seem like kind of finality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think the way that ending was done, it should have been a, a match between MJF and Jericho with major stakes, as opposed to just a rematch with another gimmick match, in my opinion. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought of last week after Jericho got tossed off of the cage is, okay, well, we're going to get a singles between MJF and Jericho at the pay-per-view. I am kind of surprised that they're doing a full-blown rematch here, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, And I, I think that from a draw standpoint, little bit of criticism here. I think that that singles match, MJF, Chris Jericho, would actually draw better than the rematch of the Inner Circle versus the Pinnacle. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at these two groups, they really, if this is going to be the end of the Inner Circle, I don't know what they have planned for the next couple of weeks leading up to double or nothing, but talk about dropping the ball on a lot of these potential singles one-on-one, you know, Sammy Guevara versus Sean Spears. It's something I think uh, we kind of saw a preview of that in uh, Blood and Guts. I think that could have been a lot of fun that, you know, we could have gotten FTR versus Santana and Ortiz, and we really haven't gotten too much. I mean, they have done a little bit of mixing and matching, but I really feel like this feud has left a lot of meat on the bone. So maybe that is because of Jericho's leaving soon and they have to wrap this thing up. Could be. Yeah, and they can still go in those different directions. And who knows? Maybe the pinnacle wins. I mean, there is, I mean, uh, uh, the inner circle wins because it doesn't change anything if they do uh so we'll see uh, real quick i, I got to respond to matt right here on facebook saying wrong info again one of top flight is out three months the other has been resting on elevation i'm talking the match with the young bucks took place in november um so that's what i'm saying that they should have struck with top flight i'm not obviously right now uh they can't but uh back in november yeah. And I won't say about this segment because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conjecture about this online about uh, kind of a sports entertainment type segment. What I kind of liked, especially about this show and AEW in general, it did feel like a legitimate variety show for pro wrestling. It felt like there were parts that reminded me of New Japan Pro Wrestling, like how they did the first segment. Yeah. And they had parts with a lot of blood, which reminded me of ECW. They had the TNA stuff that, you know, take it or leave it. And then they have this kind of segment, which is like an episode of Raw. So you had a little bit of a lot of different aspects of wrestling on this one show. Yeah, did we mention the hose? Yeah, no, yes, yes, we did. So they're spraying with a yeah, a little bit of the bobby, kind of like the Milkmania thing. Or, so know, it Austin was like. it was exactly like the the uh, the Steve Austin when he yeah. hosed down the corporation back in the day with the guys in suits slipping, except in beard. This I guess this was supposed to be the bubbly, the bubbly. Or, yeah, yeah, that was the bubbly. Yeah, so you know it kind of lines up with Jericho's brand. 
Here's what I think is is so interesting about uh, stunts like that. It's like that plays to an older demographic, yet AEW skews much younger than WWE. So there's a little bit of irony there that also goes to show you that, yeah, this younger demographic has definitely spent their time either studying up on YouTube or now on the WWE Network on Peacock. Yeah. And I always say that uh, an older, older demographic watching this, because, you know, I was around to see that spot happening and it was awesome. But like, even if you're younger and you haven't seen that before, you see these guys getting sprayed with the water or whatever it is. That's fun to watch. I mean, I think from a visual standpoint, even if you've never seen that, it's you're treated to a whole nother experience. I guess there's a reason it worked once and they keep kind of going back to that well here and there. Yeah, it's cool for new fans and it's a cool nostalgia for us, us older fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not that much older though. We're, yeah, we're I know, fun. really. Like, walk that one back, Raj. Walk that one back. I'm, I'm five years. I'm five years away from my uh, viewership no longer mattering. So, <laughs> <laughs> then you can watch whatever you want. That's yeah, I know. Cool. No one cares. <laughs> so we get to a Britt Baker interview. Uh, it's basically just kind of a general interview, building up this match she's going to have against Sheeta. How she's saying that Sheeta created a monster. They referenced. Uh, where Sheeta busted her up in their match that they had, I believe it was last year. And so it's Britt Baker guaranteed a victory over Hikaru Sheeta. Uh, Chuck, do you think Britt Baker wins this match when they face off at double or nothing? I do. I think that it's time for the coronation to put her in the driver's seat for the women's division. I mean, you saw her improvement since the launch of AEW. What I was thinking about during that promo was just how much better she still seems to be getting week after week after week. I think that she nailed it. I think that she's got enough momentum behind her. And I think that she's a she's a top heel that really can do significant draw for AEW. Put her in that driver's spot. I actually think she's way more valuable as a champion than where she is right now. Right now as the number one contender she deserves to be at the top let's do it yeah i mean uh i i think it's Britt baker's time i mean it's funny because she lost that match uh to thunder rosa and she really got the most out of it right I mean, thunder rosa until tonight has really just been resting on dark so um yeah i mean she's uh she's their top female star right now and i'd, I'd say just run with it yeah, and to your point, Raj, Thunder Rosa, we saw Thunder Rosa in the match after against Jasmine Allure. It was a good win for her, squash victory, a one in under two minutes, and they're really building up how Thunder Rosa is going after that NWA title. And it just seems like they're booking her like the woman who lost this feud. It's almost like she has to work her way back. And Britt Baker's got this plum match for the biggest title there. So you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, but I'd be I'd, I'd be down for a AEW women's title match between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. I really think that that's where this could be building long term, even though the NWA title right now is the focus for Thunder Rosa. I still think long term there's money to be had in Britt versus Thunder Rosa for the AEW title. And Thunder Rosa has kind of mentioned it online, you know, uh, about kind of being overlooked when she won that match. And, you know, like it takes two to make the match. It wasn't just Britt Baker. So they could always use that, uh, you know, if Britt Baker wins the title as the uh, the spark for reigniting that feud. So I also like the fact that there's like a legitimate uh, mid card for the women's division where that NWA title is kind of like an intercontinental title or what the U S title would be where it's not necessarily on the level of AEW championship, but it's a second championship uh, at another level that women are competing for possibly on the way up to the AEW title. So that's something that we're not used to in wrestling. Yeah. 
We get to the main event. It's Darby Allen versus Miro. We have a lot of time before this main event, about half an hour or a little bit uh, uh, more than half an hour, uh, where it's Darby and Miro. Are, they show this video package, one of Darby Allen's kind of newer packages where he's really taking shots at Miro, saying that he hasn't done anything. He doesn't really know who he is. He's generic SOB were his words to Miro. So we get to this match. This is really what I thought it was going to be, and that uh, Miro just pounced Darby. He ragdoll him for three-quarters of the match, if not most of the match. Darby Allen would have these flurries and comebacks, but they're telling the story that Darby got thrown down a flight of stairs last week. He's been defending that. T- I mean, the second this match begun, I knew Darby was losing because they just launched in all these excuses. Well, you got to remember that Darby's been defending the title, and he just fell down a flight of stairs, and his body's got to be wrapped. Remember, Cody got squashed, and they did pretty much the exact same thing where Darby's been burning the candle at both ends. He's got his ass kicked. They did this kind of sweet spot with he's just about to lose and he knows it. So he's laying out and he looks at Sting. Sting's just like, hey man, I got nothing for you. So he just uh, fist pounds Sting and he goes in there, runs a flurry, uh, but then runs out of gas a little bit. Uh, he, he gets countered on the coffin drop. Uh, Miro uh, goes back to ragdolling him and then he gets him into the rear naked choke. Uh, the referee stops this match and so uh, Miro is your new TNT champion. And as we were discussing earlier, Miro has this big moment, wins his first title. You can tell it's very emotional. They had to cut away from him because he's clearly thanking Darby Allen for the win or whatnot. They go back for maybe 10 seconds and immediately we get the outside interference, all kinds of stuff in the dark order, and we go off the air with Miro as champion. So what did you think about this match, uh, Chuck? You know, I, I like I, I don't like the fact that uh, it became very clear very quickly that uh, a rematch between Miro and Darby Allen is not going to be in the picture. You already see that they're going to go in a different direction with that. So I think that Darby Allen's kind of being shortchanged there, especially like he got so hot here for this this run. And so now to kind of immediately shift him away from the belt, I think that that's a little bit jarring to me. I think that it's probably going to be jarring to a number of other fans as well. Um, so I don't like that aspect, but I do think that Miro certainly deserves this title. But this is another coronation that I think could have um, happened at a pay-per-view, given Miro's story. The fact that he came over, has been chasing that proverbial brass ring, you know, got relegated, Raj, as you said earlier, to that kind of mid-card status again, and then boom, exploded once again, and now he's got the title. So I wish that they would have saved this for a pay-per-view, but nonetheless, I don't have a problem with him getting the title. I do have a problem with with them moving on from Darby so quickly, though. Do you think they are moving on from Darby? Because, you know, it looks like they're going with Hangman Page and Brian Cage again for the pay-per-view. So mm-hmm. I don't see who else from the Dark Order would be challenging Miro. So I just, and, and you know, the Dark Order have been kind of aligned for with Darby. You know, Darby's been giving them all a bunch of title shots. So I wonder if this is just leading to Darby versus Miro again at the pay-per-view. Kind of like they did with Cody and Brody Lee, where Brody dominates the first one, Cody gets his win back later. Uh, so that's almost what I was wondering, because to your point, Darby has been uh, one of their biggest homegrown stars, and he is he's a true ratings mover. Uh, almost every week he's on, his match is either the highest rated quarter or second, uh, in 18-49 is first. I mean, more than Kenny Omega. Uh, you know, Kenny Omega, since he won the title, has not been uh, in the top rated match on, on a show, whereas Darby routinely is. So, um it just meant it just seemed to me like he's moving on to something bigger whether it's regaining the title and going from there or something else with a you know that's that's bigger and yeah lance archer did come out after so oh that lance archer. Means, i guess the chat is kind of saying but that did happen yeah lance archer came out uh so it, it did show him in the crowd i believe uh for portions of this so that might be the direction that they 
end up going. Oh, you're totally right. I, don't, I totally spaced out. Yeah, I was kind of lighting up with that, but I did forget about. And listen, I don't want to uh, make excuses, but this kind of speaks to AEW how they have so much outside interference that this guy who's rising as your next challenger, which I am excited of a potential match between Archer and Miro, that's all we needed. If we were going to do an interruption, have Archer come out and they face off, but they had so many people running around that you don't know who stood out. Right, right. And, and I think that Darby and Sting, they're going to wind up in that tag match uh, against uh, Scorpio Sky and... Um, right. Yes, yeah. Ethan. Those are the yes. two who came out as well. Yeah, so I think that that's the direction that they're headed. And yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, uh, Miro versus Lance Archer, it's going to be brutal. It's going to be bruising. It's going to be fantastic. But again, God, man, Darby Allen, they're just moving on so quickly. I hope that they revisit that down the line for him because he's a guy that certainly deserves it. He goes out there and he busts his hump every single match. I mean, you saw that tonight once again with those crazy spots, not just the coffin drop, but then, of course, that, what was it, Cannonball Tope Suicida? I mean, this kid's yeah. going to die sometime. At least let him die with the gold around his waist, man. <laughs> you know, no, I agree with you guys about Darby Allen in terms of he is a legitimate main of event draw like um, you know it's very rare to kind of see people who can move numbers by themselves in this era of pro wrestling and darby allen is definitely somebody who could do that i think they might be confident in that and they think that okay he's gone as far as he's going to go with this title for now uh miro needs this title if we're going to build him into a star and maybe they think that darby allen without this title could be just as potent as he was with the title hopefully that's uh, uh what's going to happen but i really do think they need to be careful in beating darby allen yeah, I agree. Um, hope you know. Hopefully, he gets the win for his team. Uh, you know, with him and Sting, hopefully, he gets the win. And yeah, I, I just think he's he's gotten too bit. You know, to be too important to the company to just kind of uh, wither away or, or move down the card. He hopefully this is after this tag match, he moves back up. All right, so uh, that was the show. I know earlier, Chuck, you said a three and a half out of five. I believe is your score. Uh, Raj, what do you think about this show? Ah, oh, man. Um, I think three and a half is fair. Uh, again, yeah. that's for dynamite. It's kind of a, a on a curve, um, you know, because like a three and a half for raw is not the same as a three and a half for dynamite. Um, right. <laughs> so, but for dynamite, yeah, I, th I thought it was a, a really good show. Um, a lot of stuff happened. I, I'm already forgetting Lance Archer. I need to start writing down notes again because so much happens a lot of times on these shows that yeah, you, you know, you forget some of it. But yeah, I, I thought it was a, a really entertaining, fun show to watch. And let that be a lesson and a reminder to you, WWE, how much you can fit in in two hours. You don't need <laughs> that third painful hour for the love of God. Please, let's start a petition on change.org to get it back down to two hours. Please. And just mix up the matches. None of the matches we saw tonight took place last week, you oh, know, okay. <laughs> or even a variation of it. So just mix, just change it up. Don't do the same matches week after week. Question for you guys. What do you think the uh, predictions are for the ratings? I went ahead and real, I did some real research. Quick, real quick, before we get into the ratings, let me get this uh, a couple of these chats, uh, and then we'll we'll move on to the ratings and the NXT ratings as well. Uh, Jack Scallons with the 499 Super Chat saying, uh, Jericho is going to be booked up July 14th until October with his tour. But do you all see Inner Circle splitting? And all doing their own thing for at least for a few months. I mean, without Jericho, you don't really have an inner circle. I mean, mm -hmm. Sammy, um, Ortiz and Santana and Jake Hager, I just don't feel like they have that. They need that top guy with them. Otherwise, they could easily do Santana and Ortiz in the tag division, Sammy as a singles and, and Hager doing his own thing. 
Yeah, this is kind of a blessing in disguise timing-wise. If Jericho does have to leave, uh, it's funny because it's too early to beat the pinnacle in my mind, and it's just about right to split up the inner circle. They've done everything that they're going to do as a group. Uh, they were the top heel stable with the world champion, and then they've had some great matches and great moments here in AEW, and it's time for them to go their own way because I think Sammy Guevara's kind of uh, outgrown that. I think Santana Ortiz have taken a backseat in the tag team division because of this, and I think it's time for them to all just spread their wings. Absolutely. And let's not forget specific to Sammy Guevara, like all of the potential that he had pre-inner circle. Now, this did take him to another career, but at this point, I actually think being in a faction like this is holding him back a little bit. Let's cut him loose, let him spread his wings and continue to grow as a singles wrestler. I think that in the long run, this is only going to cause the stock to rise. Yeah, and you can still have Sammy Guevara, you know, feud with someone from the pinnacle, whether it's, you know, Sean Spears or whoever. Santana and Ortiz feud with... Um, uh, you, you know, people from the inner circle. I mean, sorry, the pin- from from Pinnacle. So, uh, just because they're split up doesn't and it doesn't mean they can't do those feuds. Wardlow and Jake Hager. So, right. Oh, yeah. I really want to see Wardlow and Jake Hager. Those guys. Yeah, those guys have a magnetic chemistry, no matter what they're doing. In their and Santana and Ortiz with FTR. That should be. Yeah. that'll be fantastic when they get to him. Definitely. Yeah. So um, uh, we were and, talking about the ratings. Uh, yeah, oh, was, and, <laughs> finally, Jax Callens uh, saying, could you imagine Darby in ECW in 99? Jesus, oh, scary. Wow. Wow. Thank God wow. it's behind us. My oh, wow. Can you imagine? <laughs> that, oh, my God. That poor oh, guy. <laughs> his Jeez. career would last two years, and his career would have lasted about as long as ECW did uh, on TNN. Is that once it just got done, <laughs> it's just so many bumps for TV that it's just – yeah, it would, it, that would have yeah. been crazy. Let's get a couple of these, uh, some of the people in the chat with their thoughts on tonight's show. Michael the Virus saying 3.75. Uh, Ricky Zaldivar saying 3 out of 5. Uh, JJ saying it's an excellent show. Holden Caulfield saying Dynamite Rules. And Ricky Zaldivar saying 8 out of 10. Oh, very good. Very high marks for AEW Dynamite. Yeah. yeah. So we were talking about the ratings, and I wanted to get to the NXT number that came out today. NXT, unfortunately, garnered its lowest rating since moving to Tuesday. Lowest viewership number with 697,000 viewers. That is down uh, from last week where they drew 761,000. They were number 25 on cable, number 64 in viewership. Uh, so, uh, you know, NXT looks like it's struggling now after a pretty hot start. They had those rare two weeks where the debut did a good number and then they went up in viewership. And since then it's uh, kind of plummeted. Yeah. And I've heard people talk about the fact that the ratings are, are slumping because WWE isn't promoting it nearly as much, um, on their, on their flagship shows. I'm not so sure that that's necessarily the case. Um, I don't think that there was a lot of stiff competition on TV, um last night but i i I don't know i I just think that the product was red hot there for a little bit and then once they went live on usa i mean yeah they they had that little bit of a bump but i I just over the last couple of years have just i personally have felt my enthusiasm for that product drop it's not what it once was to me and maybe that's because there's so much more of it these days I don't know, but it doesn't surprise me that there's this erosion in the ratings. Maybe there's going to be a little bit of a rebound, but they're certainly not going to cross that million viewer mark again anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, so if you take out last month, which was uh, inflated because they had just moved to Tuesday nights and they got, mm-hmm. a, they got a bump and the post-WrestleMania bump, um, to your point, what, what you were saying, Chuck, about people saying WWE isn't promoting it hard enough, they're promoting it just as hard as they did before so that wouldn't uh 
that wouldn't explain why they're now falling back to where they were when they were opposed by dynamite. Um, you know, the last one, two, three, four, five, six, the last six months, the average audience was in, in the 600 thousands, uh, wow. which is basically what they did last. I mean, they were close to 700. We'll see if they keep falling. But the scarier thing is they did a, they averaged a 0.17 three of the last five months before, um, before April. So, they're doing a rating in 1849 that they did when they were opposed by dynamite. So that's it's just bad, and I, I don't know if um, I don't know if a lot of it's just fatigue now with four nights, kind of five nights with with people that watch Impact, and you know you also have your the biographies and and Dark Side of the Ring. If now people are just starting to pick and choose a little more, and eight and that might go for AEW too. You know when they had that huge rating last month, I remember saying. You got to give it a few weeks to kind of see where it settles. You know, last week was blood and guts, um, a specialty uh, night. They were number one on cable. Still, the audience was it, w- it was what it, you know it was good. It was over a million, so you can't complain. But for such a big match, it wasn't gigantic. And I know some people say Cinco de Mayo could have had a factor. I mean, they they were on you know St. Patrick's Day. Granted, it was still you know you got to take the pandemic into account. But uh, when they were on, on St. Patrick's day earlier this year, the next week they actually went down. So I, I just don't know how much of an effect Cinco de Mayo would have had. Yeah. If it, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Chuck. I'm just really quickly say if it is fatigue, I think WWE should be very worried because I, man, me and Issa hosted the show last night. I very much liked NXT uh, last night. I thought it was one of the better shows. And this is a show where they had Karrion Cross advertised to wrestle. They had a Cruiserweight Championship uh, match, the women's title match that they had had a pretty big show uh, uh, that they had advertised a week in advance. So And, and they actually number. did promos on Raw, like yeah. they had a bit, which they never do. Usually it's just the generic NXT commercial uh you know, with a couple of things. So they actually did more for this week's NXT than they usually do. Yeah, I'd be very worried about this number if I were WWE because there isn't much of a way to explain this number than people just didn't want to watch the show because it was a good show. It was a show with a lot of advertisements. Maybe it is just a fourth hour of wrestling in two nights. People are just like, no, thank you. I'm not going to watch four hours of WWE over two nights every week. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a really simple formula. You have way too much product. And so what you had at the height of wrestling's uh, popularity was you had everybody looking forward to that one night of the week. That made Monday nights truly special. That's what made the Monday Night War so great. You had one night of the week. And then you introduce Thunder. And then you introduce SmackDown. And so it starts to get a little bit watered down. And now you flash forward another 20 years and you have wrestling literally five nights a week plus those specials on the weekend plus the pay-per-views plus all that other content online and it's just too daggone much it's too watered down and it's i don't care how big of a fan you are of pro wrestling you just can't commit to something anything seven nights a week and that's exactly what we have happening right now and things are going to continue to erode in the ratings department for every single company until they start to make those one night or even two nights a week so special and by the way this is not exclusive to pro wrestling you see the same thing happening in the nfl when they Mm -hmm. just had games on sundays that was really good and then monday night watered it down a little bit but then you got thursday night football and then at the end of the season you have a couple of saturday games in there too and you see the nfl ratings start to tick downward as well so this is not a unique problem to pro wrestling but it certainly is a trend that is going to continue 
Yeah. And and that's the one thing, you know, when people say, oh, Impact, TNA did way better numbers than what AEW does now. You always got to take into account the viewership changes and, and, and look at the declines across the board. If, you know, if WWE is up from 10 years ago and Impact is doing better numbers than AEW, yes, that no, that's an issue. But, you know, WWE has dropped probably like you know 70 80 percent from from 10 years ago so if you take 70 80 percent of tna's numbers and say that's where they would be if they were on spike and granted spike doesn't exist but you 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 got to take all that into account the the changes in viewership patterns and everything very much um, like adjusted for inflation right but you can compare Raw's numbers and NXT numbers to what they did two weeks ago or right. three weeks ago. Yes. Or Raw, what the hour one did to hour three. Because it's not like people all of a sudden switch to streaming for hour three. It's not a streaming issue. It's people turn off the show or don't come back. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, what do you guys think uh, AEW is going to do? I think, Chuck, you had a prediction, right? Yeah, I actually don't see them breaking a million this week. I think that they're going to be in the 900,000, maybe 950,000 range. And I think that you're automatically going to see this uh, certain contingent come out and say, well, the NFL released its schedule and that was the big competition for the show and that's why they didn't crack a million well here's the thing if you go back and you look at the numbers that the nfl release specials did last year combined espn and nfl network didn't even draw seven hundred thousand viewers for the big schedule release in 2020 i doubt that they're going to get that uh anything larger this year so i don't think that that nfl competition is there i think that it goes back to you that that newness of having no competition on wednesday night is kind of going away and now you just got so much content again people are losing interest because it's too much so i think ultimately you're going to wind up seeing aew in the eight hundred and fifty thousand range i think that that's where it's going to average out for a little bit um but i just don't see a million here what do you think Wow, I could actually see them breaking a million. I mean, those are great points made, but I do see them maybe getting like 1.1 million because I was very surprised with the number they did last week. And I think that it's kind of garnered so much stir that maybe people just out of curiosity will tune in more this week. And also this week's show didn't take the week off in terms of promoting a big show. I mean, they had the tag team titles on the line. They had the big TNT title match with Darby Allen in a match that I think a lot of people thought he could very well lose. I mean, a lot of people watch this match not thinking that it's going to be another walkover for Darby Allen. This was like a match that I think was presented as a potentially competitive TNT title match that he could very well lose, which ended up happening. So I, I do think that AEW Dynamite does well, um, but you know, I could definitely see him going a little over a million, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if the curiosity, you know, last week with SmackDown, um, the, the night that they were up against the draft. Now, Grant, I think the draft is stronger competition than Cinco de Mayo drinking. Um, right. I could be wrong. We'll see, you know, we'll see tomorrow. Um, but you know, they did, they, they were way up on SmackDown. They did some of their best numbers in a while. Um, you know, they did a 0.65 and 18 to 49. I mean, their numbers were just super strong this week, uh, coming off of the week before that had Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan. So maybe we'll see that bump this week, but I do kind of agree with Chuck. I do see them kind of settling, not in the million range, but uh, probably in the 900s, you know, maybe the lower rated ones in the 800s. 
Sure. Um, and, I, and, so, and I know some people were saying that NXT last night was against the NBA. They were against the NBA the week before, too. And the yeah. game that was up against them actually did better the week before than it did last night. Yeah, they're against the NBA every week. That's their main. I mean, as an NBA guy who goes back and forth, I'll tell you, they are against the NBA every single week. <laughs> yeah, unless it's something out of the ordinary. You, you can't, I mean, like a, a presidential election or, sure. or you know, uh, some huge news story broke like that one week where you had the the capital riots and stuff yeah. you know that stuff those things are out of the ordinary but there's always going to be competition whether it's the challenge or whatever uh so you know those excuses can only go so far for AEW or WWE and I would love to see some internal demographic research that shows what kind of a crossover there is for those mainstream sports with the pro wrestling fan. How many of them are actually also watching the NBA? How many of them are also watching hockey? How many of them are actually also watching the NFL or NASCAR? I would love to know what the crossover is so we can get an accurate gauge on how much these big games should or should not be hurting the audience on any particular week. Well, normally you see you see WWE affected by the NFL uh, during the season. Their ratings usually drop about 10%, and they come right back up in January. Um, but you don't see the other sports really affected that much. NBA only late in the season with the playoffs and everything. But other than that, um, you don't really see it. So especially NHL, I can't ever th- think of a, a week where WWE or AEW's ratings were really down because of the NHL. I mean, they were on NBC Sports Network on Wednesdays before, so that had no effect. But right. All right, so uh, if we didn't have any uh, business to attend to, uh, Chuck, do you want to promote where we could find you, your Twitter account and whatnot? Oh, yeah, man. Like I said, I am so jazzed to be talking about wrestling again. So if you head over to my Twitter right now, you're going to see a whole lot of health musings because a few years ago, Austin Aries convinced me to go adopt a plant-based diet, and I went all in on that, right? So you're going to see a whole lot of health musings over at Chuck Carroll WLC on Twitter and Instagram. But I promise you this, you will also see a whole heck of a lot of wrestling moving forward. So, Raj, thanks for having me here tonight, my man. Absolutely, and we will definitely see you back here soon. Um, as for me, uh, everyone, we always appreciate you guys checking, you know, uh, tuning in and we've been doing this for years and we love that you guys keep checking us out. Uh, if you could do us a big favor, give us a like, click on that subscribe button, uh, recommend us to your friends. If you're on iTunes, uh, any other podcast, uh, provider, please leave us a review and give us uh, a, a good rating. If, if you enjoy us, we, we, always do this for free we plan to always do this you know keep continuing to do this for free but we do appreciate those comments those likes and and subscriptions so thank you guys yeah thank you and uh it's been fun uh look forward to talking to you more chuck uh and i saw that you lost over 200 pounds was it 280 my friend the wlc the the wlc stands for weight loss champion so that is that is my big claim to fame go follow chuck and and learn those secrets man you you look at his old pictures it doesn't it doesn't look like him. I would yeah. not have guessed that was him. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, thank sure you, everybody, uh, for the Wednesday Night Podcast. I'm Alfred Kunwa, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.